Every day that you and I wake up is a blessing from God. And it is a day where, in a sense, God gives us a life coin that you and I can spend. It's one where you and I will exchange it for something in our lives. So it's a chance to spend it well and to spend it on the things that matter, or it's an opportunity to squander it and spend it on and waste it on lesser things. I believe this life coin is called a day. And not a one of us in the room this morning knows how many coins, how many days that we are going to get. Only God knows. And that reality should lead you and I to understand this, that as His children, we should make the most of the days that you and I are given, for we never know when the last one will be given to us. And God is going to never make us spin it in the manner that He wants us to. As a matter of fact, we will have a choice about that. And I believe that if we are to live wisely then we will choose to spend our days grounded in the truth of God's Word and who He is. If you remember this year, we've read through the book of Joshua at the very end of that. In chapter 24, they had settled the land. They had fought the battles. They had had great victories. They'd had great defeats. And at the end, Joshua places a challenge before the people. And he says this to them, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve Him faithfully and in sincerity. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Then Joshua says, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, then choose this day whom you will serve. Whether it's God, your, God, your, the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in the land in which you dwell. But as for me and my house, Joshua says, we're making this decision. We will serve the Lord. And I believe for us as Christ followers, you and I must see the precious days that God has granted to us as special and ones that we should spend in such a way that really count. And what happens in our life a lot of times is our day gets pinched and we try to balance the struggle of a number of the things that we face. Career advancement, the pursuit of financial security, raising a family, getting ready for retirement, education, travel, uh, serving in the church, pursuit of God, spending time with God, going on mission with God. And there's all kinds of things. And if we're not careful, the things of this earth become more, become more of a priority and a, and, a great, and a greater perspective and vision in our lives than the things of God. And they can become our life. And everything falls out of focus at that time. And I think sometimes often the choice before us is not bad things and good things. It's good things and the better thing and what's best. And we wrestle even sometimes with those. Look at me in Psalm 90 just for a moment, verse 9. Moses speaks here and he gives us great counsel on this truth for our lives. Psalm 90, verse 9. For all our days pass under your wrath. And we bring our years To an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Notice what Moses says there. 
We must learn how to treasure the days that God grants to us and gives to us. So we must be willing to be teachable in the midst of those and count the days as precious. And as we surrender to God in these days that God gives us to live, we learn how to spend them incredibly wisely. And so today and over the next um, weeks to come, probably three to five weeks um, after today, we're going to walk through an Old Testament book. It's the second shortest book in the Old Testament. Um, I have never, ever in my life studied it before. Um, it's the book of Haggai. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be awesome. I'm just telling you right now, it's going to be awesome. There's great things there. You may think, Haggai, man, how could, how could anything great come out of it if you're given a name like that? But anyway, the Old Testament prophets wrote of a coming time for the nation of Israel of what was going to come to them because they had forgotten what God had told them to do as they settled the land and lived in it. You can look at Deuteronomy chapter 28 all the way through chapter 30. And Moses, for the second time, is giving the nation the law and he's reminding them, this is going to go well with you if you will walk with God. But if you are not going to walk with God, this is not going to go well with you. And so he reminds them of this great reality. Well, we know the story. Eventually, uh, the kingdom is united under David and, and Solomon. And then after Solomon's death, there's a divided kingdom, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. And the northern king just never really wanted to walk with God at all. And they had, they had no good kings that counseled the people and led the people to walk with God. Judah, the southern kingdom, had, had some good kings, but they just wrestled with this. And so the prophets were raised up to speak into the midst of the people to say this. This is what is coming as a judgment upon the decisions that you've made to not walk in faithfulness with God. So the prophets wrote about Assyria coming in, and they were going to they were going to capture the northern kingdom, and it was going to be gone. As a matter of fact, that happened, and, and that, those tribes were gone, and they've been gone to this day. What remained was Judah, was the southern kingdom. And the prophets, the minor prophets, began to write, and they began to say, there is a judgment that's going to come. And so there are major and minor prophets. The minor prophets are not minor because they had little to say. They're minor because um, they... they or shorter books and the things that they wrote were really really incredible incredible things and so you have some prophets that were pre-exile prophets they wrote leading up to that uh like jonah um in some in some of those like that and then you had those that wrote during the during the exile time like like ezekiel and jeremiah and then you had some that wrote post-exile when they returned back into the land and there are three particular of those, maybe a fourth one, but it's Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, and possibly Joel is also one of those. And so this book of Haggai that we're going to begin to walk through over the next several weeks is phenomenal. And I'll just be honest with you, this, this morning, on Monday, late Monday, after I got things done, um, sat down and began to think, okay, you know, we finished Second Peter, what are we going to do? And so I just started looking at some of the Old Testament minor prophets and and began to read these two chapters in Haggai and was literally blown away sitting at my desk. And it's one of those moments where you're not expecting something, but God just you can uniquely speaks. And so um, I, I think that what we're about to walk through the next several weeks is absolutely critical because we're going to see that thousands of years ago, the exiled Jews returned back into Jerusalem and Judah, and it was a mess. 
and they began to do things right, but then they began to get caught up in distractions, and God was not central in their life again. They should have learned from all the things their forefathers did. They should have learned from even some of them who had returned. They were there when the exile began, but they just seemed to forget about it all. And so I think this word from Haggai is absolutely relevant in 2019 in the 21st century of calling God's people back to a God-centeredness in their worship and their walking with the Word of God. The Jews had been in captivity in Babylon for 70 years. It began with Babylon taking them a number of ways. We believe that it was a half a million people were sent away to Babylon. Can you imagine just a nation and, and, and most of those inhabitants of the city of Jerusalem just being scooped up and being taken to a foreign country. And there they go and they live and they've got lives. And then eventually, after Nebuchadnezzar dies, uh, the kingdom of Babylon begins to fall apart because of the weak leadership that's there. Persia comes to power and they eventually um, take over Babylon. And a change of philosophy political philosophy and military philosophy happens under Cyrus and Darius. They begin to do this. They begin to look at the peoples that they had captured and brought into their land differently. And they began, uh, Darius particularly, and Cyrus as well, they didn't really have a problem with the foreign gods that other people had. And so they began to allow some of the people they had captured to go back. And so the Jews began to go back in three waves. The first wave was with a guy named Zerubbabel. The next wave was with Ezra. And then the last one was with when Nehemiah comes back and rebuilds that. And what we're going to see today is after this first wave came back with, with Zerubbabel, who was the last descendant of the last legitimate king that sat on the throne, Jeconiah. And he was the last one, and he comes back, and he's the governor of Judah, and they began to settle the land again. Now, I want to point out a few things that I think are really important. So they come back. And for the first two years, they get back, and there's an excitement there, and, and the, the city is literally in shambles. Nebuchadnezzar has destroyed the temple. They rebuild the, the foundation of the temple, and they set up the altars, and they began to sacrifice. Well, what happened was Samaritans come along. Samaritans, during, the, during that period of time of the exile, began to marry. They were Jews who married other people who were not Jews, and there was interfaith of things, and so that happened during this 70-year period, and they came, and they wanted to rebuild the temple, and the Jews said, no, you're not going to help with this because of the impurity that is connected um, to your life. Well, they caused a lot of problems, and for two years, um, there was a lot of good things going on in Jerusalem in the sacrificing, but with the Samaritan opposition, everything just stopped. And then what happened is the people began to look at their own lives. They were not rebuilding the temple anymore, not getting the walls up, and they just began to focus on their lives. And it, and it sat there, as we come to the text today, no work being done for 14 years. God had sent them back, 50,000 of them, to come back to do one task, rebuild the city, rebuild the temple, because the temple life was to be central for the Jews. And they should have known better. They should have known, despite the opposition, this was their story in the past. They would have opposition. They would kind of cower under it. They would forget about God. And they should have known better. They should have learned the lesson. But the opposition came. There's an obstacle there. They forget about what is happening and taking place, and they don't continue with 
with the work. They literally give into it. Now, it's important to also remember this. They were gone for 70 years. This is really significant. When they had come into the land and they had settled the land, there was a period of 490 years. God had told them that in that period of time, every seven years, you are to have a Sabbath rest for the land. Don't plant your crops. Don't reap. Don't harvest. Don't do anything. Let the land rest. Trust me in that seventh year. In, the, in that seventh year. And for 490 years, guess what they didn't do? They didn't embrace what the law said. Have a Sabbath year. Seventy total years they neglected. And God sent them away under captivity, to teach them a lesson, to say this, my way must be your way, not your way be your way, my way be your way. You have to trust me, you must put me first. And so here are the returned exiles, who are the children, some of them born, but heard the stories of their forefathers, some of them taken away, now they've come back, and guess what they do? It's just like our lives. They fall back into the pattern of what led to the captivity, forgetting that God must be first. When an obstacle comes, I don't just give up, but I'm going to continue to pursue God. And so this comes, and so God, in the midst of this, raises up a guy named Haggai to speak in the midst of the people, these exiles that have come back, who have given up on the work, and they've been back now for 18 years. They came back, two years they built this, the the. The, uh, the foundations and the altars were going again, and then they worshiped for a while, and then the opposition came, and they just gave up, and everything sat there for 14 years. No moving forward, no God-centeredness, and they turned to their own lives and focused on what was happening and taking place. So here's what I want to do. If you'll turn to Haggai now, if you're going, where in the world Haggai? Well, if you go to Matthew and go three books to the left, the last three prophets who wrote post-exile, they are there. Haggai chapter 1, and I want to read all of chapter 1, as that would be our focus today. Are y'all excited about Haggai? I'm excited about Haggai. You are, you're going to be excited about it. Here we go. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet to to Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Now therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You have sown much and have harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Second time he says it. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, and while each of you busies himself 
with his own house. Therefore the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, notice that, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. And then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came, and they worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. I got a lot of things this morning. If you're a note taker, you're going to write a lot of stuff here. So be ready. Carl, you didn't have to do that. Be thankful that Mike had to do that this week. First thing I want us to see this morning, that it is never the length of ministry, but it is in the faithfulness to follow what God calls us to do that's most important. <clears throat> Let me tell you what happens with Haggai. From August the 29th to December the 18th, in 520 B.C., 108 days, four messages come to Haggai. He speaks the four messages to the people. We don't know if he has a ministry after that. We don't know if he had a ministry before that. But we know this, that these two chapters consist of four messages, and they cover 108 days. Four months, August 29th to December the 18th. God gave him some very significant things to say to the nation to call them to move forward in the right way. Now, Haggai's name means festive or festival of the Lord. It's been speculated, potentially, maybe he was born on a day of one of the festivals, and that's why he got a name like that. We think that there were 500,000 that were sent away, 50,000 come back. We know that they come back under Cyrus originally, and now Darius has taken over from Cyrus. It's in the second year of his reign, and this group of 50,000 come back, and they begin to see the, the shambles of the city. The temple is just stone after stone is there. They build the foundation. They set up the altars. They begin making sacrifices again, and there is an excitement that is there, but then opposition comes before the people. They have quickly rebuilt everything, but in spite of the great task and the responsibility that was before them, they gave in to the obstacle that was there and the opposition, and they quit, and here's what they did, and it's just like us. We have all been there today, and let's be honest with ourselves this morning. Starting with myself, I have been incredibly honest and moved by God to examine my own heart this week. So there's an opposition that's there. There's a task that they have called to do to rebuild the city, rebuild the temple. Opposition that's there. Oh, it's too hard. So they turn from what God called them to do, and they begin to focus on themselves. If you notice a while ago, they thought, okay, well, we can't build the temple because of all the opposition. So I've been letting my house, where I live, 
kind of fall apart and I'm going to focus on myself and getting my house in order and sometime later we'll get to the temple. Remember, Old Testament time, what was the lifeblood of the Jews? It was the temple. It was the worship. It was the sacrifices. It was all of that. And now these returned Jews have come back and they're just like this. Okay, too much trouble, too much opposition. So now I'm just going to focus on myself. And They just let the temple remain literally in ruins. And they've forgotten the lesson that they should have learned. And again, they've been back for 18 years now. And Ezra 5 one and following kind of shares with us kind of what happens and takes place. Just listen to this. Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Iddo, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. And then Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jehozadak, arose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem. And the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. That's Ezra 5, 1. But before that, there was nothing going on. It wasn't until Haggai and Zechariah began to call the people back to the reality of what was taking place. Now, we don't know anything about Haggai's style of speaking. We don't know what his hair was like. We don't know his personality. We don't know the full length of his ministry. We just know of four months. And these four months were so incredible in the life of the nation that God gave him specific, four specific sermons to speak amongst the people They called them back to a God-centeredness that was critical. So listen to me, folks. Hear this today. It is never the length of what God has called us to do. It is never the recognition that we have. We know about Haggai for four months, and then he just disappears. He seems to allow Ezra and Nehemiah and other people to take more of a forefront of things, and he steps back. He seems to be okay with that. It is never the length of things. It is the faithfulness in what God has called us to do. And that's the same for us today. It's not how long or am I going to get the recognition that I need. It's not any of that kind of stuff. It's this idea, God has told me to say something. God has told me to do something. So I'm going to be faithful in what God has told me to do. No matter the length of it, I'm going to be passionate about it. For Haggai, it was four messages over a four-month period of time speaking to the people. And again, he does not promote himself. And it is evident that he is willing to take a step back. And he calls the people through God, through Him, to them, to say to them, we came back to restore the city. We came back to restore the temple, and we have lost focus. Secondly, this morning, it's this. There's always been with the people of God a call to return, to restore, and to reform God's people to focus once again on the glory of God. When the exiles returned Everything was different in the city of Jerusalem. Gone was the glory of the former kingdom. Gone was the glory of Solomon's temple. Gone was the glory of the city. The walls were torn down. Nothing had been rebuilt. It was just a mess of the city. Gone was the great population of Judah. All that was left was the ashes of rubble of a once great city that desperately needed this remnant to embrace what God was calling them to do and to focus on the task to restore the city, to restore the temple, and watch this, to make God-centered worship central in the life of the nation again. And I believe that as the people of God at times throughout our history, 
we have done really well and we have led with and we have been passionate about um, the returning to God in repentance, the restoration of the church and the restoration of our lives and the reform of right doctrine and all of those things. And there are times when the church has just yawned at the task, bored with it. This group of returned exiles were to embrace the full restoration, but they lost sight of it because of what happened and took place. So we learn, first of all, from Zerubbabel, it's never the length of ministry, but it's the faithfulness in it. Secondly, there's a call upon the church to return to God, to repent, to bring about restoration and reform. Thirdly, is this, and this was the key thing. God's ways being first always bring the blessing. It's not focusing on ourselves and we get our lives, we, we focus on our earthly stuff and then God's going to bring the blessing later on. No, it's, we put God first and then God brings the blessing. And, and these returned exiles, because of the opposition, lost sight of all of, of, all of this. And they, they had begun to get used to the idea of Okay, not that big a deal that we don't have a temple anymore. We don't need an outer court. We don't need this where we can go and we can pray. We don't need a place that we can do this. We don't need any of that kind of stuff. And they had grown used to for 14 years or really 18 years and really for now 88 years because of the captivity. We don't really need all of that stuff with the temple. We don't really need that. And they focused on themselves and they began to think about this and began to focus on this. They, as the opposition came, they gave up on the work. They began to focus on the routine of living for themselves. They had vineyards to plant. They had farming to do. They had commerce to do. They had building houses. They needed to raise their families. And as regular life became the focus, time led them to simply get used to living in Jerusalem without a temple, without a place to go and worship and gather with the people of God. And during that time, God began to speak, and he raises up Haggai to speak speak to the people. And I believe the people got stuck in great discouragement during this time. And it resulted in a significant loss of ministry and vision for what God had told them to do. And here is why, ultimately. God calls them out twice in chapter 1. They had put their, watch this, Collin County people, that's all of us. They had put their personal prosperity ahead of the kingdom of God prosperity. Anybody relate to that? That's where we live. North Dallas, Collin County, better houses, bigger houses, better subdivisions, better cars, better career, better clothes, more, more, more. And they had neglected what was to be central of their lives, which was the worship of God at the temple where the word would be proclaimed. They would gather as the people of God. And because of the opposition, they just gave up instead of just saying, no, we're going to trust God. We're going to put God first. And then God brings the blessing. And they didn't do that. So what they did is they, they put their focus on their prosperity and they, they lost sight of what God wanted for them. Look at verse 2 again. Thus says the Lord of hosts, these people, notice he doesn't say my people, he's already kind of fed up with them. They've come back and they should have learned. He said, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of 
the Lord. And then the word of the Lord came by the prophet of the hand of Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house, the house of God, the temple of God, lies in ruins? Now, therefore, says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go to verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Two times in the text there. God talks about time. And the people just said to God, God, it's, God, it's just hard right now, God. It's not the right time. This obviously is not the right time. Too much trouble. Too much difficulty. I got all my money tied up in my mortgage. I can't invest in the kingdom of God. I can't tithe. I can't bring my stuff. I'm working really hard. And, and, and we'll see here in just a moment. I'm planting my crops. I'm exerting a lot of energy. And there's a drought, and so I don't have as much. I don't have as much to, to bring, and so I've got to take care of my family, my stuff, so I can't bring that stuff in. I've got to keep it for myself. And all through it just trickled down because God was not center of their life. Everything began to be an issue. And in the necessity and busyness of life, they got caught up in their own plans and neglected the importance of God's purpose with the temple and its importance in the life of the nation. And if we were honest, we've all been there before. We've come to know him. and We've walked with him in great passion. We make a foolish decision or we make a mistake and we get distracted. There's a new job. There's a new issue with a kid. There's a new issue with a spouse. There's this that's going on. And that becomes the focus. And little by little, all of a sudden we wake up one day and we have drifted so far away from God and watch this and we're okay with it. But yet we want him to bless. Come on, God. Come on, God. Come on, God. Bless. Watch this. The issue was not their paneled houses. The issue was that he was not center of their life. It was okay to have paneled houses. But God needed to be central of their life, and that needed to be the focus of them. And I believe these returned exiles came back, and I think they wanted to do the right thing. I think they came back wanting to see the city, wanting to see the temple restored to its glory. We see in Ezra that some of them had seen Solomon's temple. And when this new temple is completed in Ezra, if you've read that text before, there is a shouting and celebration that you could hear for miles and miles away because of the celebrating that God had restored the temple um, in the midst of the people and the task that they had called to. And so I think they, they, I think they had the right motivation to go back, but they had lost sight of everything. They had lost the vision of the project And this lack of vision led them to believe and to see the temple as not a priority, not necessary, and not essential. It was something that they could just put off to later. And God would be okay with that. But God wasn't okay with that. And I think it's easy to understand how this happens to them and how it happens to us. They had encountered a great obstacle. I'm not diminishing the obstacle. It was real. And it kept them from moving forward. But instead of gathering and praying and fasting, they just gave up. And they began to focus on their own lives to make sure their own lives were in order first. And see if this sounds familiar. Since we can't get anything done at the temple, these are some things they may have said. My own home has been a mess and it needs remodeling. God wants me to give attention to things at home first. And I can neglect God and the kingdom 
and things like that. I would be able to give more money and resources to the temple, but all my money is tied up in my home renovations. Well, I'm going to pray that someone steps up and someone finishes their renovations quicker and then they can have time to focus on the temple. Well, you know, the temple has been like this for a long time. A little bit longer will be okay. And I and we will eventually have the time. Well, the altar's at least up. There's some sacrifices going on. That will have to suffice for now. And watch this. They had grown content with half-heartedness and thought it was normal and right. And it wasn't. You see, God knows that our greater rest is found in God-centered worship. It's not found in, do I finally have a better this? God knows that it's found in Him. And so Haggai's voice becomes an alarm clock. We hate alarm clocks, but they're necessary, are they not? And His voice becomes an alarm clock to wake the people up of what they had forgotten about and they had gone to sleep on. And this drift, I don't think, was an intentional rebellion on their part. But it was just that the things of this earth became more important than God being central, center at the center of their lives. Did you notice in verse 2, they kept talking about time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. It's not the right time. They have this excuse, fourthly, about the priority of time. They had a time, priority of time issue. Look at verse 2 again. Let's just read it. Thus says the Lord, says God speaking, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of God. Evidently, this is what they were saying together. Hey, everything's just kind of been tough. You know, the Samaritans did this and they sent word to Darius and, you know, I don't know if we can go forward with it. We don't have the resources and, and just they just began to drift, focus on themselves, work on their own um, economics and all of this kind of stuff. And their excuse was time. And I believe in the, in the faith moments of our lives, we say just like the return exiles, things like this. I get it. I'm for the temple being rebuilt. It is a great cause. It's a godly one. It's important. But the timing right now to be involved at the church, to, to tithe, to serve, it's just not right for me. You know, when I get my finances in order, then things are going to be different for me. You know, I'm super busy at work. You know, my kids have sports. That's another issue on Sunday mornings, that kids have sports. And you don't want me to go there. I might go there the second service. You know, when things get a little calmer and they slow down, then we can rebuild the temple. But what's the reality? We never do it, do we? There's always something on the list. And how tragic it is for the people of God to say, oh, we can just delay God's work. I don't, I, don't need to, I, don't, I don't need God to be central in my life. I can just allow my spiritual house, I can allow the church to literally fall apart because, you know, I've got I to take care of mine. And God is saying, Put me center. Seek first the kingdom of God and what? And all these things will be added unto you. No, God, add the stuff first and then I'll go, yeah, okay, God, you're good. You're good. Okay, give me the blessing first. God, then I'll seek. And God says, no, 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 no. You seek me and then you allow me to give you exactly what you need and I'll bring the blessing. And these exiles should have known better. 
and they got caught up in it. And here's the sad reality is the reality is that we make time for the things that we want. Always. It's a priority issue. And what the people did was to make their reason sound spiritual. <laughs> well, it's not the right time, you know. I mean, obviously, um, if God was really in this, there wouldn't be opposition. He would just make the path smooth. And, that's, of course, that's just always the way God has done things, right? He just, all paths have to be smooth, and that confirms that he's in something. The kingdom has never moved forward in deep prayer and passion. So they just give up on it. And they put words in God's mouth saying this, well, it's not God's timing to rebuild the temple. And God had a perspective of that. And he speaks to Haggai, and Haggai speaks to the people. And I've been walking with the Lord for a long time, and I've been doing this ministry, type of ministry for a long time, and I've lived with me for a long time. And I've heard myself and I've heard others say almost everything in the world, including Scripture, as to why we can't do things spiritually. And it's absolute spiritual lunacy. And it sounds like this. You know, this is a hectic time in our family. The kids demand so much attention. Every day is taking up with meeting their needs. But someday soon enough, we'll be through this phase and then we'll get involved at the church and the people said it wasn't time to rebuild the temple but their actions said it was time to make sure that all of their stuff in their life was the best just not God's was the best you ever heard of a place called Chick-fil-a you can't go there today you know why because a long time ago Stuart Kathy said no we're not going to be open on Sunday and God has blessed that business. So if you own a business, your kids are playing sports, you've got hobbies, et cetera, et cetera, I just want to remind you that the priority of the teaching of the Scripture is God and God's people and the worship of God. And if you and I allow other things to get in the way of that, then that's on you and it's on me. We don't need to put words in God's mouth as to why we can't come to church or why we can't be involved and why we can't invest and why we can't go and why we can't tithe and all this kind of stuff because that is all a matter of priority. It's not that we can't, we can. Watch this, we just don't want to. Because we want to act as if and live as if this earth is our home and it is not our home. And so God steps in fifthly this morning and he says... He calls them to consider their ways. And so he says to them, consider twice. He says in verse 5 and verse 7, he says, consider your ways, consider your ways. Look at it. In the Hebrew, this word, this consider your ways, is a phrase that says this. Put your heart on your roads and see where it's going to end up. So if you continue to walk this way, if you live this way for the rest of your life, where are you going to end up? So, so God's telling them, look, the temple's never going to be rebuilt if you just think that you've got to take care of your stuff. If you think that one day I'll have the money and the time to give to the building of the temple. No, you won't. If you continue down this way because you're your God, I'm not your God. Your stuff's your God, I'm not. And so consider your ways. This is never going to come. You keep saying we don't have time. Obviously God's not in it. Um, 
And, and so we'll just wait and we'll just be content about that. And, and it's not the case. And they fail to see the error of their ways and their loss of priorities led them to watch, watch this work really, really hard, work harder. Oh, I just got to work harder. I got to work harder and God will bring the blessing. No, just stop and just put him first and allow him to bring the blessing upon our business and our families. And watch this. Here's the phrases they use. They had sowed a lot of seed and harvested little. They had full bellies, but were not satisfied. They had enough to drink, but they were never full. They had clothing, enough clothing, but never warm. They had earned enough money, but it was like they were putting it in sacks that had holes in it. It was just falling out on the ground, and there was nothing left at the end of the month despite earning enough. Instead of much, little was reaped and little was brought home. What was brought home just melted away. And watch this. Listen to this. They had earned enough wages, but only to put them in a bag with holes. And what was happening, and they couldn't see it, is that God had brought judgment upon them. And they couldn't see it. Listen to these words. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen and 17. Take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. Then the anger of the Lord will be kindled against you. And watch this. He will shut up the heavens so that there will be no rain. And the land will yield no fruit. And you will perish quickly off the good land that the Lord has given you. They were being judged and they couldn't see it. They may have told one another, oh, we're going through a tough patch. Got some bad luck. It's kind of come along. You know, it's down economic time right now. They could not see that God was trying to tell them something and that God had done this. <laughs> Just blown it away. Just blown all of their efforts, blown all of their fruit, had blown some of it away. And no matter how much effort they were exerting, they were not satisfied as their priorities were off. God was not first in their lives. And hear this, God brought about the circumstances that they are living under. He had brought them about. You know what we do? We want to blame who? Satan. Satan. Ah, that's Satan. That's Satan. That's Satan. You know, I think he gets way too much credit for some of the stuff in our lives. When we ought to go stand in front of a mirror and go, that's the problem. That person right there has bad priorities that I'm looking at. And here was Haggai's message. You are neglecting the priority of God being the center of your life, and yet you're expecting God's blessing. The blessing of God is being withheld from you because of the choices that you have made to just allow the house of God to remain in ruins. Let me remind us of something Jesus said. John 6, 27, do not work for food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal, and they had forgotten the lessons of their fathers, and had begun to step right back in to exactly what their forefathers had done. And sadly for us, I think this is the case, our spiritual default mode so often it's comfort and coasting instead of pushing through and finishing what God has for us. Look at verse 7. I want to read 7 through 11. So, so listen to these words. So the Lord of hosts says, consider your ways. Here's what I want you to do. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You look for much and behold, it came to little. 
And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills and on the grain, the new wine, the oil, and what the ground brings forth on man and beast and all their labors. God's calling them, consider your ways, and he calls them to the better choice of got to get the temple right. Got to get worship right. And so he calls them back to it. Watch this. They assumed they could neglect the work of the temple and still want a lot, and God would be okay with it, and he just would bring the blessing. And God stepped in, and he said, there's going to be no blessing. Going to be no blessing. I'm not going to do it. And their issue is, was, is they had lost what mattered most. Because the house of God had lied in ruins while they had busied themselves about their own material ways. They couldn't see that they had lost God as the priority and that the blessing always follows naturally when God is the priority. That doesn't mean we're going to be rich. It means that we'll have enough, right? We'll have enough. And sometimes, we've talked about this before, at the beginning of the month, you ever go, how are we going to make it to the end of the month? And you get to the end of the month, go, I don't know how we made it. We made it. I don't know how we made it. How are we going to make it to the end of the next month? And somehow God does if we'll just be faithful. I'll, I'll be honest with you. When I, look at, when I look at my budget, if I could remove the tithe, I would have no financial issues from a man's perspective. I mean, that 10% is a lot. But you know when you trust him with the 10% or you give more than 10% and you trust? I, 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 Pam and I can tell you we know this to be true and some of you can give the testimony as well. When we are faithful in that, God just, he blesses it. He blesses it and, then, and it makes no man's math work. It just doesn't. But God's math always seems to work. And ultimately we know this and I want to remind us we are never going to find life outside of Christ and so make him center of our lives and so God was calling them to a greater priority work to make the temple and to rebuild the temple for the nation back into the middle and I believe a gospel centered mindset never says this somebody else is going to get the work done a gospel centered mindset says no I and we are going to get this done number six this morning is the pleasure of God is our great desire. Verse 8 is critical. He tells them to go up to the hills and to bring wood and to build the house. Why? That God may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. God was not taking pleasure in what they were doing as they were focusing on themselves. But God said, listen, you want my pleasure, then you've got to get in line with what I am pleased about and I'm pleased about my glory. And I'm not going to give my glory to anybody else. Isaiah wrote that. I'm not going to share it with anybody else. And so go to the hills, gather the wood, come back, get about the task, rebuild the temple, make the central part of your life in the nation, worship the Word of God, gathering to pray the glory of God. Make that be center, and I will find pleasure in that, and my blessing will naturally flow and God is calling them to do it with the right kind of heart one that said God I'm going to be a part of this 
because I want to glorify you no matter what. And again, I want to remind us, Satan was not their issue. They were their issue. They were their issue. And I think most often it is that way with us. Seven, point seven, the priority of God-centered worship. Haggai 1.4 says, Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Verse 9 says, You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Now let's talk about house for a moment. We... Who's become the house in the New Testament? We are. But for the Old Testament saints, these these believers, the house of God was the temple. Now don't miss this point. Don't miss this point. What they were doing has tremendous symbolism for us, with us, now that we are the house of God. We cannot allow this house that houses the Holy Spirit of God to lie in ruins while we pursue in passion the things of this earth and just neglect our spiritual lives and think God's going to bless that. He wasn't going to bless these returned exiles. He wasn't going to do it. And He's not going to bless our lives if we do that. That's not how God has ordered things. And so this, this, this idea of And it's crazy, utter nonsense for them and for us to allow the centerpiece of our lives, God, worship, and the nation, to literally lie in ruins and just go about our lives as if it's normal. It's not normal. That's why God's calling them out. The worship of God was being deeply neglected. And and so Haggai's raised up to say, folks, this is wrong We've got wrong priorities. We're focused on ourselves and our little houses and God's house and God's kingdom where the truth of God is proclaimed. We are allowing it to stay in ruins. And we should never think that God is okay with that. Earthly prosperity was more important than the worship priority in their lives. And if that lies in ruins in our lives, then everything else in our lives gets out of place and out of kilter. And I love, as we close this morning, what verse 12 and following tells us. Is that Zerubbabel, who is a descendant of the last legitimate king of Judah, hears God's words through Haggai, and he doesn't go, who does he think he is? I'm a descendant of the king. I'm the governor. Joshua, the high priest, didn't go, who's this guy? You know what? Haggai spoke. Zerubbabel and Joshua heard it. And you know what they recognized? That's God's voice. That's in line with God. That's God's voice. So this is God's man. Watch this. The leaders, started with the leaders, said this. Okay, we're going to hear what you say, Haggai. God's speaking through you. We're going to get it right. And then all of the remnant of the people came in line. But I believe it often starts with the leadership. So Zerubbabel and Joshua embrace it. 
And I believe there's a beautiful necessity of humility and leaders that must be there. They embraced the preaching of Haggai, Zerubbabel, and Joshua did. And they got themselves in line. Now, I want to close with this, and it's going to be Zoom, okay? Zoom around the room here really quick. You know what chapter 1 is about? It's about the priority of the proclamation of the Word of God into the midst of the people of God to get their worship right with God. And when that happens, when God, God's Word is proclaimed and the worship and the glory of God becomes central in a people's life, lives again, then God does a work with that. And I want to give you, and I'm going to scare you, I'm going to give you eight things that the proclamation that verses 12 through 15 tell us why we proclaim the word of God. Number one is simply this. When God's word is truly proclaimed, it will unite the leaders and the people with God's purpose. So that happened. Haggai Haggai gets the word of God. He speaks it. Zerubbabel, Joshua, embrace it. The remnant of the people say, yeah, that's God's word. We are in line with that. And that must take place. If there ever comes a place in, in, the, in Life Point's life where the leaders don't like what's being proclaimed up here, and when it's coming out of the truth of God's word, then we've got problems. We've got major, major problems. But when the truth of God's word is proclaimed in honesty and integrity and, and, and is not is not unashamed to say what needs to be said, and the leaders and the people embrace that and say, we want to hear it, we want to yield to it, then that is a place that is proclaiming the Word of God right. Secondly, the preaching of the Word should always bring about obedience to God. And that's what happens. Verse 12 tells us this, that Haggai preached, Zerubbabel, Joshua, and it says all the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. Preaching calls us, proclamation of the word calls us to walk in obedience to God thirdly we should always see that the word is sent by God through men it's the way God used it it was sent by him from him but he used people to write it and proclaim it so there's a difference between the messenger and God okay God's God the messenger's the messenger, but when God gives the messenger the word of God and it's God's word, then it needs to be listened to and embraced. And so they see the word because what Haggai's saying is in line with God, and so they see that what he's saying has been sent by God. Thirdly, the preaching and the proclamation of the word of God should produce in us a reverent fear of God. And that's exactly what verse 12 says, that there was a fear of God and the people feared the Lord so the proclamation of the word should bring about this reverent fear of God fifthly when the word is faithfully proclaimed God watch this God proclaims and affirms his presence among the people and so he says that in verse 13 and then Haggai the messenger of the Lord spoke to the people with the Lord's message not Haggai's and here's God's message I am with you, declares the Lord. If you'll get back to the task of rebuilding the temple, I'm going to be a part of that. But I'm not, if you want to go down the road of allowing the temple to lie in ruins, I'm not going to be with you. I'm not going to be a part of that. And I'm going to blow away all your work and your efforts. And you're just going to get caught up in that. But if you want me to be front and center, and you want to make this reality, I am going to bless that. I'm going to be a part of that because I want my name to be glorified. 
in the temple. So God confirms his presence among his people. And I believe that in the midst of things, he always empowers and encourages us to, to do what he commands us to do. Six, that when God's word is faithfully proclaimed, then he will stir up the hearts of the people for the task. So that's there, verse 14. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. And watch this. And the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. We won't talk in detail today, just because not. But they complete the temple in five years. Five years from this moment. They complete it, and we'll see that day when they gather together in the temple and they gather in the courtyard of Jerusalem and they worship. So they got about the task of that. Three times in 114, it says the Lord stirred up. He stirred up. He stirred up. What if? What if? What if God began stirring our hearts at life point from the leadership to the congregation and we said this every part of my life is going to be God-centered finances, time, relationships all of it I'm not going to allow this temple to lie in ruins anymore God-centeredness is my passion when we proclaim that and we live that God stirs the hearts of the people for the task to do the work and He's stirring in the remnant of the people, and they complete this great task that was in shambles in five years. It is completed. Lastly, the move of the Word of God always moves us to prioritize working on our house. When we proclaim the truth of God's Word, and God's Word is center of our lives, and, and it's our passion, we eat it, we know it must be what we follow then we will continue to work on this house, this house that houses the Spirit of God. It becomes a priority that we want holiness to reign there. Look at 14. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, and on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. Watch this. 23 days later, after Haggai said to them, you're working on your financial prosperity, and you're allowing the temple of God to be a place of poverty. And you got to get that right. And 23 days later, they began to work on the house. You know what they did in those 23 days? They went to the hills and did what? They got wood. They gathered what they needed to get done. They didn't delay. 23 days is not a delay when you've got a temple to build. There's stuff that has to be done. And I believe God this morning is calling you and I. Listen to me. He's calling you and I to prioritize the worship of Him through the Word to be the main thing in our lives. And if we want to allow that to lie in ruins, watch this. God eventually... You may be going through great blessing right now, but your house, your spiritual house, the work of God is just lying in ruins in your life. And there may be no apparent judgment. The money's flowing in. You're not tithing, and the money's flowing in. 
But I'm just going to tell you what's going to happen down the road is that God's at some point in time is going to go, and the house of cards is going to crumble. Because God knows that when he is central, not the things of this earth, then our greater joy is known. And I want to close with this. So yesterday, I mowed my backyard. Got one of those things that's attached to the house that you wrap your hose around. And we hadn't used it in forever. And I mowed beside that thing. I got beside that thing. It's like right here. I'm right here and I'm taking the hose off. And I'm shaking that thing. And, and I'm doing all this kind of stuff and did all my work, put the hose back on. About four or five hours later, Pam sends a text from the backyard I'm in the bedroom. said, did you see this yellow jacket nest out there under the thing where we store our hose? I'm like, what are you talking about? So she took a picture. It had 15 on it. You know yellow jackets, right? They're friendly. So right here in front of me was this thing. And I thought yesterday, you know, after last night, I thought, how in the world, how in the world did I not get stung? And I think the only reason I didn't get stung because God wanted to give me an illustration this morning. Here's the point. You can live your life by something that's going to sting you for a bit, and it's because God has withheld his hand of that happening. But there's going to come a time when God's going to release his hand and everything on that nest is going to come knocking on the door of our life. And I'm here today to plead with you and I this morning, to plead with us this morning. Make God be central in our lives. Because we can't live by this all the time and just think that God's going to be okay with that. Eventually, God's going to, He's going to blow and it's, and it's, and it's going to come crumbling. And it doesn't mean that if He's center of our life, the trouble's not going to come. Because it comes. To godly people, it comes. But I want to remind us this morning, He must be the center of our lives. And this remnant people had forgotten about it and they were content with the temple lying in ruins while their prosperity was front and center. And if we want to live that life, God's not going to bless that. God's not going to bless that. And I believe... Do you think Haggai is relevant today to 2019? Absolutely, absolutely it is. And it's a call from God's heart from this prophet to you and I in an affluent time to make the kingdom of God the priority of life. Him the priority of life. Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. A great study. Next week, we're going to talk about God's presence in the first part of chapter 2. All right, let's pray.